times when you get into the scriptures and I look at our chairs and I wish they had handles on them. Because it's easy to say sit down, but sometimes you may want to say hold on. That's where we're at in Second Corinthians. Hold on. If you would please. Second Corinthians 13, we are looking at verses 5 and 6. Step 4 in the process of sanctification. It's a fascinating text. Please follow in reading of the Word of God. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Father, help us to have ears to hear. And Father, help us to realize what it is that we are up against. But Father, I pray... Those who have ears this day will look at this test, this text, and understand who he's talking to and who we are today. In Christ's name, amen. We are in a large text that started back in chapter 10, actually. And the problem is... And it has been all along, all the way back to chapter 10, verse 3 and following. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divinely powerful for the destructions of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay? See, we've bought into Hollywood's version of spiritual warfare. Little booger man running around doing things. And that ain't it. You know what it is? It's a fight for the mind. What do you think? What does it look like? That is the war. And to win that war, you have to take every thought captive. Okay? See, when you came to salvation, regardless of chronology, how old you are, when you came to salvation, you had an operating system that was influenced by Satan. Okay. No, he doesn't run around making you see green boogies and this, that, and the other, or weird, you know, spells or anything. That ain't it. That ain't it. It is speculations. Speculations. There are things that I read in the Bible that are just amazing to me, even to this day. One of my favorite. Verses, and I only quote part of it at time, 
But I, I, I just want you to think about this for a second. All right. When you think about God. We think about grace, we think about mercy, we think about sending his son, we think about heaven and things like this. But then when you live your life out, what happens? A verse that I quote in part on a regular basis, I want to quote in whole to you. And I want you to get a grasp of this. Okay, it comes out of Isaiah chapter 40. It's verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand and has marked off the heavens by the span. But see, it don't stop there. And calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance. And the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? Do you understand how massive that is? I know the grains of dust on the planet Earth. You got that? And you're going to tell him what? You have what to deal with? The span of his hand is creation. But the spiritual warfare is anything that is against that. Our context, as it gets a little smaller, began over in chapter 12, verse 20, and runs through the end of chapter 13. But the overall context is spiritual warfare. But what you have from 20 to end of 13 is, how do I win this thing? Why is it we look at things as impossible? He knows how much dust there is. He weighed the mountains on a scale and set them into being. The Apostle Paul writing to this church who had turned their back on him. In these texts is focusing on several issues. Things that the Corinthians have bought hook, line and sinker. The same thing we do today. Same thing we do today. Hook, line, and sinker. Someone says it. They claim and profess to be an expert. Therefore, it must be a puff of wind is what it is. We have all fallen guilty to it. We all stagger through it. We all have our times where just a seed of doubt. Just a seed of doubt. These issues that the Apostle Paul is dealing with in chapter 12, 20 through the end of 13 is of great, well, maybe even urgent importance in the life of the church. 
when I look at what the church is today, when I look at what the church says today, when I look at what it is accomplishing, I can tell you emphatically that they're missing this section of Scripture. Sanctification is not an issue. And yet it is a process. It's a very long process. It's an agonizing process. It's a very discouraging process. Listen, the true men and women of God, those that are true, I have seen one thing that is in common with every single one of them. They long for the people to become mature in Christ. I see the church today, they want, the, the teachers want to be needed. You know what? I want to work myself out of a job. I want to be done. I want to say, here. They all stand following Christ. That's what I want. Probably not the smartest thing in the world, but it um, it's a good goal. To present every man complete in Christ. You got your work cut out for you. <laughs> there should be a longing in each and every one of you to be mature in Christ. It's a simple focus. It should be a driving focus. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. It should be a passion of your life. To be around people who can make you more mature in Christ so that you can make more people mature in Christ. There's nothing more important. Listen, look at Paul's life. Tell me I'm wrong. Look at the Apostle Paul's life. What was the passion of that man? To present every man complete in Christ. Not that I have arrived. I press forward to the upward calling of Christ. You know what? I read this text and I, you need to understand that I've been reading this text uh, a number of years. And in the whole letter... My favorite text is 3.18. We behold, as in a mirror, the glory of Christ. That, that, that one there is Yahoo. But if you read that verse, then you understand what was Paul's passion. I want every one of you to look into a mirror and see Christ. But I tell you what, this section right here, Brothers and sisters, there's never been a more urgent text that every Christian needs to hear. I don't care if you've been a Christian longer than I am old. Because it says there, test yourselves. I like that. You know what that means? We have a tendency to test everybody else. Examine yourselves. Well, we like to examine everybody else. Why? It's easier. Test yourself. 
I look at the passion of the Apostle Paul, and I understand this. We've already looked at this, remember? We started out with the first thing is sanctification is what? Repentance. Repentance. Change. You're following the world. Follow Christ. You love the world. Love Christ. You have a passion for the things of the world. Have a passion for Christ. Have a longing for the heavenlies, not of the earthlies. But we also have to understand that in repentance and in sanctification, you're going to have to deal with discipline. We all love discipline, especially when we're dishing it out. You've got a little thing inside of you. We've got a name for it. God gave it to you. You know what it is? Conscience. Anybody ever had their conscience bother them? Well, if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and your conscience is bothering, you might want to stop dead in your track and say, whoa. Because if your conscience is bothering you and the Holy Spirit is there, that's discipline. And it will only get worse if you ignore it. I bear witness. But there's also biblical authority. What does the Bible say? We all deal with situations and people at different times that the Bible deals with. The Bible is adamant about it. Here. Here's what you do. Well, but that seems... I don't seem merciful or graceful or loving. You know what? If you don't deal with rebellious sin then you're not loving. That's hatred. These issues, whether it is repentance, discipline, or biblical authority, has a presupposition. You know what the presupposition is? That the people are real Christians. I have learned in my life When I use biblical authority to discipline somebody, most of the time they vanish. Which tells me a lot. If they're not willing to listen to biblical authority, and they're not willing to understand the love that is behind discipline, they can never repent. And if they can't repent, they can't listen to authority, and they don't take the discipline, what do you suppose the problem is? They're not His. They're not His. And you know what? I have learned... There are some who can endure a lot. But eventually, they have to run. Listen. One of the things that you and I have missed consistently. Are people real in the church? Chapter 11, verse 26 of this letter. Uh, 
I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness. Dangers in the seas and dangers from false brethren. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Well, there's the Galatians. There's the Corinthians. So false brethren in the church have been around. My greatest heartaches have come from people who were quote-unquote close brothers to me. Who stabbed me. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Himself said this, to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill the book of Isaiah. Chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel, beginning in verse 25. But while his men were sleeping, this is the tares and the wheat, while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and he sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. Know them by their fruit. The slaves of the landowner came to him. Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, a parable. Then Jesus explains the parable beginning in verse 36. He left the crowds and he went to his house and his disciples came to him and he said, Explain to us the parable of the tares and the wheat. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who committed lawlessness, and He will throw them in the furnace of fire in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what? It's not even our job to throw the weed out. The tares. Why does this all happen? Jesus said this before this text in verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parable. Who's them? The people. 
the masses. I speak to them in parables. This is after the religious leaders had accused him of doing miracles by the power of Satan. And I, he, you know, at that time, it's like, you know what? You guys are so thick and lumpy. I'm not even going to tell you the truth anymore. I'll tell it to you in parables. And then I'll go explain the parables to my disciples. All right, here's what he says. Therefore, I speak to them in parable because while seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Brothers and sisters, I would have a mega church of all the people who have listened to me and have not understood. I can't count the number of people who have come and gone. And they all come and they say, I'll say the same thing. Love your teaching. You're so in-depth. But then you call them to task. I'm busy. I have other things to take care of. I remember meeting a guy who was out at Grace Community Church. He had moved his entire family. They were in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Couldn't find a church anywhere. Was there 10 years? Not one church in Upper Peninsula. And they had gone as far as 150 miles from where they lived. They were willing to drive 150 miles to go to church if they could find someone who would exalt Christ to the authority of the Scriptures. You know what he did? Sold his house, packed up his kids, and moved to Southern California. Walked into the elders' meeting at Grace Community and says, we just moved here because we have to find a church. We couldn't find a church. Can you find us a job? Because the passion of the man was more for the things of God than it was for the things of the world. Anybody here brave enough to do that? It's an interesting concept. A company up north fired a couple of hundred Muslims because they didn't want them using four times a prayer during work hours. You know what the Muslim says? We don't want a job. Our religion is more important. How about you? See, I don't have to face east to pray. Okay? I can walk around and pray. I can sit down and pray. But do you and I have that same zeal? Why? Because here's what Jesus says. In the case of the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, and will not perceive. For the heart of this people, now this is specifically Israel, has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. You know what? How many people sitting in church today don't see, nor hear, nor perceive? How many? 
How many? I remember Dr. MacArthur made a comment to me one time, and he said he doesn't believe that when the church is snatched up, there'll be enough of us missing that anybody will notice. This is a man who has a congregation of 60,000. Think about that for a minute. I want you to look around right now. If the rapture happened now, how many would still be here? You ever thought about that? Paul's challenging them. This should be central to anyone in leadership. This should be central to all pastors. This should be central to every believer that should be a concern for the spiritual well-being of the people. That should be our driving focus. Every single one of you. Are these people spiritually alive? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, he says that there are the weak and the faint-hearted. Okay? If you look at those, they don't look saved. But they're teachable. They listen. They learn. Okay? Weak can be morally weak or physically weak. But you have to work with them. But you know what? They want you to work with them. Those who are not spiritually alive, they don't want no part of you. Get out of my business. Those aren't hard to spot, people. Listen, if they are not His... They cannot truly repent. If they are not His, they cannot accept discipline. If they are not His, they cannot submit to authority. Paul's goal in the Corinthians was as for all believers. It was and is that every believer, whether it is in the time of the Corinthian church or in 2016, that they live at the highest level of spiritual maturity. But for them to grow in Christ, they they have to be in him. They have to be in Him. Paul says here, test yourselves, examine yourselves. I like that. Because it says, don't test those people around you. It doesn't say examine those people you're sitting next to. It says, do it to yourself. Determine your true spiritual condition. Every single one of us right here should always be attuned to our spiritual condition. You know, I know, once saved, always saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is, how many never got step one? This is critically important. I hate to break the news to you. 
Those, listen, those who misjudge their spiritual position, their spiritual state, will face an eternal tragedy. I was reading years ago, Josephus, he has, he's, man, a dude, he's a trip. He has a dissertation with the Greeks concerning Hades. Okay? The, the place of death. And he makes an interesting argument in it, and, and it's always fascinated me, is that the people who die without Christ have this eternal thing that they tank with them. Their conscience. And their conscience will be with them forever in the place of weeping and gnashing. And their conscience is part of their judgment. Because their conscience will always remind them of the truth that they were responsible for. That they rejected. It would be as Christ was offering a hand of mercy and you said no, you get to carry that for eternity for your condemnation. All the times you told Christ later. Wow, oh, that, that's Josephus. That's that's. You can't get that out of the Bible. You know, you, you, you can't understand. You know, that's just what Josephus was saying. Okay, fine. Chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, beginning in verse... Let's see. I'll go to 20. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons. In your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Listen, the most dangerous place for an unbeliever, an unredeemed person to be, is in a real church. Because what they hear from a real preacher will be part of their condemnation for eternity. They will be guilty of rejecting the amount of truth they've been exposed to. Hearing the truth and not responding to it. Now, I want you to think about this for a second because where are we dealing? Where does this text come from to examine yourself? The Corinthians. Who founded that church? Paul. Were not the signs and wonders of an apostle done among them? Absolutely. Were you not lacking in any spiritual gift? And they rejected the Apostle Paul because false brethren came in claiming to be super apostles and sowed a seed of doubt in young believers and they started doubting the man who birthed them into the kingdom. And included in that would be false brethren among the congregation 
who would continue to stir stuff up. Any different today? Hearing the truth, but not responding to it. Now, let me ask you a question. I, I know I could go with a massive list right now of people who heard the truth and didn't respond to it. Okay? I mean, I could give you a list that would probably scare you to death. But that ain't my issue. My issue is you. Have you responded to the truth? See, in a real church, where the authority is the Scripture, it brings a greater accountability. But let me tell you something else that people don't think about. A church that preaches the truth also brings on a more severe judgment to those who reject it. They are without excuse. The challenge to the Corinthians, as to us, um, I would ask that each of you, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how young you are, I would suggest, highly suggest, either take the next five weeks off or be brave enough to go home or wherever and do a spiritual inventory of yourself. Of yourself. Paul challenged the Corinthians to do a spiritual inventory of their lives. I'm challenging Castle Rock Baptist Church to do a spiritual inventory of your lives. Because here's what happens. We go through these two verses. You're responsible for the information. Listen, I love you. I'm not responsible for your information. I'm responsible to rightly divide truth. it's, it's, It's funny. I look at the pastorate as a table waiter. God prepares the food. I bring it out on a big platter and try not to spill it. Now, whether you eat of it, that's up to you. But each and every one of us should do an inventory of our spiritual condition. Paul's call to the church. One, be genuine. Two, the profit of being genuine. And we'll dig into this. With a seriously big shovel in the weeks to come. Because I don't know a text that is more important than this text for this day and age in the United States and in Castle Rock. Okay? Okay? Listen, if you base your salvation because you walked an aisle and said a prayer, you are in serious danger. Okay? My salvation came on the floor of a cell. Cold, snowy night. Begging for mercy. 
And I've had my issues. But, you know, I have the scars on my head where he thumped me. I think I'm kidding. I got nine stars on the top of my head and one over each eye. God says, boy, this one here is thick and lumpy. Do an inventory, my friends. There's nothing, I cannot think of a greater tragedy than to hear him say, I never knew you. And you, I don't care how moral you are. That ain't the issue. Well, I never done nothing wrong. You just did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the questions that the Apostle Paul throws right in the middle of the Corinthians. Because if you were to look at the Corinthians, Lord, how discouraged Paul must have been. And yet, Father, I look around at the saints today. And it's difficult not to be discouraged. Father, I pray for all that will hear this message. Father, may they test themselves. May they examine themselves to see if they are of the faith. Father, may we all pass the test. And may we all shine brightly to the glory of the resurrected Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this year that is before us. Thank you for the amazing things you did in the year behind us. And Father, may we press on as the Apostle Paul, the upward calling of Christ. In his precious name, amen.